Uh, if you have a Bible, I can invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 17. It's page 75 in the red Bibles in the pews. Uh, two weeks ago, in the, in the Moses story, we left the Israelites doing what they did best, complaining. Uh, complaining and wondering if God had left the building. Is the Lord among us or not? was the big question on everybody's lips according to Exodus 17 and verse 7. Is the Lord among us or not? Having been led into the desert and tempted, the people had started to query God's presence. Life wasn't comfortable. Life wasn't straightforward. Life wasn't easy. It rarely is. And as a result, they complained. And they questioned if God was actually with them any longer. He certainly had been with them. I mean, the ten plagues, including the disturbing death of the firstborn. The great escape out of Egypt and away from slavery. And then the Red Sea incident and miracle. Well, those things, those things prompted expressions of trust and songs of praise about the uniqueness of their God. They were convinced at those points that God was there, God was here, God was with, God was really close. But now, after a rocky patch, after a few trials and difficulties, they're not happy. They're not happy about their circumstances, they're not happy with their leaders, and they're certainly not happy with their God. Which leaves them asking the question, is he here? with us or not one of the discoveries of this series is is just how relevant and how up close and personal their story actually is so often during the first nine parts of of this series we've identified the connections we've felt the challenge of god's word and the complaining and the questioning i want to suggest is a perfect case in point because many of us have been here I'll guarantee that. We've once been in a good place with God. We've sang the songs of praise. We've expressed our commitment. But then having faced our own tough and sort of faith-shaking challenges, we wonder, what is going on? What is God doing? We're worried that he seems more absent than present. And maybe some here this morning can relate to that. And you sympathize with the Israelites because you feel stretched this morning. And some aren't here this morning because they feel so stretched. Stretched to breaking point. And you wonder, where is God in all of this at the moment? And you find it hard not to complain. You find it hard not to voice off a little. I don't want to underestimate the way you might feel this morning. I don't want to come off with some less than helpful cliches or platitudes. But I do want to emphasize that God is still with you. God is still present. God is still for you. And God is still working out his purposes in your life and through your life. As you constantly rediscover more of his grace and goodness. And the next little incident in this story, and I'm only going to mention it briefly, but the next little incident in this story stands as testimony to that. That God is still with them. 
God is still for them. God is still on their side. And that question, is the Lord among us or not, it's left hanging in the air at the end of verse 7. No answers given, or at least no recorded explicit answers offered. But the very next thing, look at this with me, the very next thing that happens is that the Israelites come under attack. Kenick seems to come out of nowhere. Vicious attack from the Amalekites. And Joshua, and that's the first time Joshua gets mentioned in the Bible, Joshua's commissioned to go and head up a resistance army and to fight the enemy. And while he goes off to fight, Moses and Aaron and her, and that's another new character in the drama, they head for the hills with, and here's the critical piece of information, with the staff of God in hand. And while it's held up, and Moses needs some assistance to keep it above his head, but while it's held up, the Israelites gain the upper hand to the point where Joshua wins the battle, or to be more accurate, God wins the battle. And so to commemorate the victory, Moses builds an altar. And he calls it Jehovah-Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. Because throughout that day, it says, until sunset, whenever the people caught a glimpse of this rather bizarre sight, Moses on a hill, sitting on a rock, hands held high by Aaron and her. Whenever they looked, whenever the people looked and saw this strange sight, they could see, and this is the key point, they could see not Moses, not Aaron, not her, but the staff of God. And for those who have been following this series, you'll know this. That the staff of God was the symbol of his power and presence. It was the one thing that struck the Nile in water turned to blood. It was raised and the Red Sea split down the middle. It cracked a rock and water came out on top. And now here at Rephidim, as it is lifted high, God's power and presence comes back into focus. Vision is readjusted. Vision is realigned. They see this staff held aloft like a banner and they know, or they rediscover, God's with us. God's with us. God hasn't abandoned. The Lord is my banner. Powerful. Present. Back to their question. Is the Lord among us or not? Answer, absolutely is. Absolutely is. And you know something? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. The Lord is still your banner. Does that mean there won't be any more hassles to face or battles to fight? No, doesn't mean that. But all I can say to you this morning is this. Look up. And refocus. Jehovah Nissi. Look up. Don't become consumed by your circumstances. Have your vision realigned. Readjusted. Hey, let's move on. Because what I really want to uh, look at this morning is a family reunion. Lots of us have enjoyed or endured 
those during the past couple of weeks over Christmas and the New Year. And in Exodus 18, which is an often overlooked and skipped chapter in the Moses story. But Moses is reunited with his wife, with his kids, and with his father-in-law. You see, at some point earlier in the story, they got separated, and nobody knows exactly when. Lots of people take guesses as to when they got separated, but nobody knows for definite when it happened. But Jethro, the father-in-law, has heard through the grapevine about everything God's been doing for his son-in-law and for the people of Israel, especially the escape from Egypt adventure. And so he decides, I'm going to visit Moses in the desert, and I'm going to bring his immediate family with me. So let's pick up the story. Verse 7 of Exodus chapter 18. And we'll stand for the public reading of God's word. Exodus 18 verse 7. So Moses went out to meet with his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the land of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. Have a seat. And that just must have meant so much to Moses. To be able to sit down with someone from your extended family. And to share what God's been doing in your life and in the lives of those who are part of your community, that must have been good. Like really good. And not only to share, but then to see the positive reaction as they effectively light up because they recognize and they acknowledge God's goodness in your story. I mean, that must be amazing. And then even better, to hear the people that you're telling your story to turn around and praise God because their understanding, their vision of God has been increased, it's been intensified, it's been deepened because you've shared your story. Verse 11, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but if nothing else, these moments should, I think, encourage us to share our stories with those who are closest to us. Don't be afraid. Or rather, don't be reluctant to tell your family what God is doing in your life. If you get the opportunity. Because who knows, it might just be exactly what they need to hear. It might even inspire them on their journey. It might even help in their faith development It might even encourage them to praise God. Who knows? I suppose the issue and the challenge is how many of us and how many of those kinds of stories have I shared with my relatives in the past year? Even the past few weeks. When was the last time I sat down with a member of my own family and just shared about what God was doing in my life? talk about so many other things 
so many other things. But when was the last time I just sat down and shared God's stories? Moses sits down with his father-in-law, shares his heart. And the impact is tangible. It's a special moment. And after hearing nothing else other than a bunch of complaints and complainers, it must have made a refreshing change to be part of such a positive conversation. Tell your God stories to your family. Back to the story. Everyone heads to bed. We're now up to verse 13. Everyone heads to bed. And then the next day, Jethro begins to observe Moses at work. He gets an insight into a day in the life of his son-in-law. And as he reflects, it says this is what he, or as he observes, it says this is what he saw. Look at verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning to evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing. So, I want you to picture the scene. Jethro spends a whole day, morning to evening, watching this massive queue of people line up to have 15 minutes or whatever with Moses. To seek his advice and to get his instructions. And as he watches this, and as he reflects on this, a few questions emerge. Verse 14. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, here's the questions. What is this you're doing for all the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? Jethro's pretty direct. He says, listen, Moses, what's going on? And why are you doing all this by yourself? Two great questions, two insightful questions, two really annoying questions probably. And sometimes, you know, we need people like this in our lives. Someone with a fresh set of eyes who gets an opportunity to watch us work or serve or minister or lead or do whatever it is that we do. And then we need them to take a step back and reflect and to ask us some honest, important, heart-searching questions. You see, Josh Jethro touches on a few issues here. Things like priorities. Things like your use of time your use of gifts, things like the involvement or the lack of involvement of others. And before we move on and and listen to how Moses responds and then how Jethro reacts to Moses' response, I just want to pause, especially on this, the first Sunday of 2013, because for me, this incident sparks a few great New Year's questions. A few great questions to ask yourself. Here they are. What am I doing with my time? Is this the best use of my time and gifts? What are my priorities? Am I doing too much by myself? Could I involve others in specific tasks and responsibilities? Should I let go of certain things and be more willing to delegate? And Moses finds himself in in Christian leadership, and maybe those particular questions are specific to that a particular role, but I actually think this resonates and relates to all of us in whatever, in whatever we've been called to do by God. I believe we're all called to do certain things by God. We all minister. Everyone who's a child of God is involved in full-time Christian service. 
And some of us are actually doing too much. And we've lost sight of the priorities. We're not making the most effective use, nowhere near it, of our gifting and our, and our time. And plus, we're doing far too much by ourselves and we're not involving others. And therefore, we do need someone to come into our lives who cares about us and who asks the necessary questions. And so the question I just want to ask you at the start of this new year, is there someone close to you? Someone in your family or other ways who could observe you in a given day or a given week or however long and then offer constructive feedback based on their observations? Is, is there someone like that in your life? It's a scary thought, but it might be the best thing could ever happen. And Moses has this experience. And in response to Jethro's questions, have a look at this in verse 15, he offers a very honest answer. He says, Jethro, listen, here's what I do and here's why I do it. And lots of us are kind of there. Here's what I do and here's why I do it. And then Jethro comes back at him. Now, not aggressively. He's he's just offering his reflections. Verses 17 and 18, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And Jethro tells it as it is. Listen, Moses, it's not good. Now, it's not that Moses was doing anything wrong. He just wasn't doing it particularly well. And as a result, everyone's going to end up exhausted. You and these people will only wear yourselves out. You can't keep this up. Unless something changes, Moses, you're going to hit a wall. This is not doing anybody any long-term good. There's too much involved here. And you're trying to do it all by yourself, and that's never clever. And again, I reckon some of us need to hear that at the start of this year. We need to prioritize. We need to let go of certain things and certain expectations. My goodness. We do need to let go of certain things. We need to rethink how we do what we do in order that we will do it better and for everybody's good because if we don't, we're in danger of working ourselves into the ground. Do you know what happens? You start skimming. You start skimming life. You start skimming what you do rather than give it your best, rather than to enjoy it to the full. And the energy levels never get out of the red zone. And you begin to tolerate what you do. You put up with it rather than gain any enjoyment from it. Any sense of satisfaction or fulfillment. And one thing I will guarantee it's your family that ends up suffering the most when everything gets out of sync. But what I love about this is that that Jethro doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just identify the problem. He doesn't just tell Moses what's wrong. He offers a solution. He suggests a better way. Here's his advice Verse 19, following. Listen now to me, Moses. And I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. So this this is not him being arrogant at all in this. Let me give you advice. Please listen to it. May God be with you. You process this before God, Moses. You must be the people's representative before God. And bring their disputes to him. 
You teach them his decrees and instructions. You show them how they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they can share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Two key pieces of advice in here. You could argue there's more, but there's two core ones. First, teach. Verse 20. Moses Make it your focus to share God's word with the community. You show them how to live. You teach them how to behave. That's your role. That's your calling. That's what you can do well. And at the end of the day, God's word, God's decrees, God's instructions, they will provide the necessary counsel. They will settle issues. God's word will speak effectively into people's lives. And what Jethro's really doing here is he's helping Moses identify his priorities. Here's what you should be concentrating on as your role as the leader of these people. Teach. Secondly, delegate. Verse 21 following. Moses, you've got to share the workload. You've got to get others on board. And as it turns out, if you read on, there were people in that community gifted, ready to be involved. They were there all the time. They just needed the opportunity to serve and the chance to help. (laughs) Moses was doing it all by himself and he didn't need to. He was hanging on to far too much and he needed to learn to let go. And that is always the challenge. But it's never easy. And it's never easy for a number of reasons because some of us, you see, like to appear really busy. Some of us like to appear that we're always on the go with so much to do. Others don't like to delegate because they think they can and will do a far better job themselves. Some of us are scared to ask others to share the load because it reflects bad on us or it might reflect bad on us. Like we can't cope (laughs) That we're not strong enough. That it turns out we are only human. Or for some of us, when we involve others, it appears we're being lazy or that's how we feel. Especially when we think we're paid to do it all. Despite the fact that it means working around the clock. And Jethro advises Moses, Moses, you've got to delegate. And why have you got to delegate? Well, here's the reason. Because it's going to lighten your load. It'll make your life easier. Not only that, you'll be able to take the strain. In other words, you're more likely to go the distance. You're less likely to burn out and end up disillusioned. Plus, look at verse 23. All the people will go home satisfied. You will accomplish and achieve far more than you ever dreamed when you involve others. Sometimes we think that doing more will guarantee greater effectiveness, which is nonsense. Because sometimes the ability to delegate is a far better pathway towards efficiency. 
And as you take time to reflect on, on the questions that I showed earlier, and if anybody wants a copy of those questions, please ask me afterwards. Or as you just think about the year that lies ahead generally, let me strongly encourage you to identify your priorities. What are the essentials? What are those things that God has called you to do? What are those things that God has gifted you to do? What are those things you need to do? And what are those things, those tasks and those opportunities that you could delegate, that you could share, that you could encourage others to do? And by the way, and this is, this is kind of an aside, although, although hopefully helpful. When it comes to sharing, when it comes to delegating, there's some pretty decent advice about the type of te- people or the type of people you want to look out for. Verse 21. Select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonesty. And you see, when it comes to delegation, look for people who are competent. Look for people who are able. Look for people who fear God, people who honor God, who give God his place, who live in awe of God. And thirdly, look for people who are trustworthy. Look for people who are honest. Competence, reverence, integrity. In lots of situations, those are the kind of people you should identify and share the load with. Back to the story. Here, Don. Because how does Moses respond to all of this? Jethro's only been here for 24 hours. He certainly hasn't wasted time in speaking into his son-in-law's life. And some people might have reacted pretty badly to advice from their in-laws. Not Moses. And in verse 24, we uncover a key aspect of the growing character of this man. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses was willing to listen and learn. And what we discover here, this is someone with a teachable spirit. This is someone who's willing to be led, despite already being a key and anointed leader. Here is someone willing to submit to the wise counsel and advice of others. In other words, Moses was humble. You see, it takes a decent amount of humility to allow others to speak into your life. Really does. Really, really does. To actually give someone permission to observe what you do and then to offer you constructive feedback, that takes a huge amount of humility. And not only to allow them to do that, but then to listen to what they say with the right attitude, not to become defensive, but to actually listen. As it turns out, humility is one of the most striking features about Moses. Listen to these words from Numbers 12. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The opposite of humility is pride. And sometimes it's pride that gets in the way of being able to hear from someone else. Am I too proud to allow someone to speak into my life and into my ministry? Here's an even better question. Am I too proud to allow a member of my own family to speak into my life? Do you know those who know us best can offer and maybe should often offer the most. 
And let's not forget in case somebody thinks, well, well Jethro kind of like, he just walked into the scene. Remember, Moses worked for Jethro for 40 years. He worked for his father-in-law for 40 years. Like Jethro had a platform from which to speak of. He had every right to speak into his son-in-law's life. But what's incredibly challenging here is that Moses was willing to listen and learn from one of his relatives. And so what about us this morning? Who will speak into our lives in 2013? Who has spoken into your life in 2012? Who are we going to give permission to observe and offer advice? And are we willing to listen and learn from others, even if they are members of our own family? And what are the essentials? What are the priorities in 2013 for you? And what can and what should you be delegating? The final verse tells us that Jethro heads back home. Verse 27. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. But what a significant visit. In fact, it changed the course of events in the history of Israel. Because not only was Moses encouraged and strengthened, he was saved from burnout and meltdown. But in addition, others ended up in sharing of the leadership of the Israelites and people were ministered to in a far more effective way. And so Exodus 18 might seem like an incidental chapter at face value and it often is seen as that in the story of Moses. But as far as family reunions go, it was probably the best one ever. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the the people who do speak into my life. Help me to be uh, humble enough to allow more to do that. Help me to be willing to listen and to learn. Help me to be not so keen to just try to do everything myself when there's others around me who are far more gifted, far more able. And who are just looking for the chance to be involved and so God as we step into a new year and as we've already reflected this morning for some the prospect of that is not great but as we step into 2013 I thank you God that we know you are our banner you are powerful you are present you are with us God, you give us others to journey alongside. And so I pray for each of us that we will have people in our lives who journey with us and who offer advice and wise counsel so that we don't end up burnt out and disillusioned, so that we don't skim life, but we live it to the foot. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.